Hello, this is co-host Robert. What you're listening to is a rebroadcast of a classic Forgot My Dice episode that originally aired on the Freebooters Network. As always, this content is a year old and covers topics and news that have long since happened, but feel free to check out the show notes on ForgotMyDice.com, join our Patreon, and join us in the Forgot My Dice fans Facebook group. Enjoy the show. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Welcome to another episode of the Forgot My Dice Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, is the Demos to my Phobos, Mr. Robert Lundgren. Hello, hello. Who's Mars? We're making this topical this week. I know. Those are the moons of Mars. And exactly. Who's, which one of them's in retrograde? Did you give me the one that's going to be slamming the planet? <laughs> I think they're both supposed to eventually, right? I, can, I don't remember. I'm not up on my Mars moons. I don't know. I, didn't, I, I, I didn't use the term a, moons in air quote, but yeah. I didn't see a card in terraforming mars that that was about slamming one of the moons down into the planet i got one of those cards that, that is legit a card yeah there you go there you go <laughs> i just don't remember which one because one of their one of them's going the wrong way yeah and so it, it is very quickly like in astrological terms so like a billion years but whatever gonna hit mars i just don't remember which one's which i'll have to go read up on that we are, of course, uh, starting our topical discussion about our, our deep dive today, which is going to be terraforming Mars. But that's so far down the, the schedule of events for today's show. And we've got a lot to pack in. So let's go ahead and get started. Well, as you may have noticed, there has been a slight delay in the release of this episode. That's because of all kinds of stuff between the network and Robert and I. There was Fourth of July. There was vacations. There's all kinds of stuff. Point is, probably got to you just a smidge late. Yeah. And like our new ep- our next episode will probably be out like in a week. Yes. So because of this, we will not be covering Kickstarters this episode because the we have absolutely no clue when this is going to yeah, hit the air. The the chances of those Kickstarters still being live by the time you hear this is uh, pretty much a nil. We might talk about a few, but uh, that's why our our format's just a little bit different than normal today. So uh, we just wanted to kind of get that announcement out of the way. And a very very special thank you, of course, goes out to our patrons at Patreon. You guys help us keep the lights on and keep the show running. And as a thank you, it's contest time. Yes, the contest we had delayed. Okay, so what can they win, uh, This is the Savage Rifts. So we've talked about them on the show before. You are going to win, of course, the Game Master's Handbook, the Tomorrow Legion Player's Guide, and the Savage Foes of North America. The new releases for the Savage Worlds system. These are really, really pretty books, too. I mean, this is a great little prize package. So, And, and my buddy, who is way into Rifts, played a lot of Rifts when he was a kid, said, this is a pretty deep decent conversion of it i haven't had a chance to play it yet which makes me sad i made a dude though he had a car or he had a van going out to our patreons one and two is brendan three and four is james five and six and scott looking for a roll of the d6 and that is a four to james patron james uh i will post this that you won actually as soon as i can get on it hopefully tonight as soon as you learn of your fate, please send us a private message with your address, and we will go ahead and get these books out to you. I'm relatively sure you can do that on Patreon. I don't know. We've if, never done this before. If not through Patreon, reach out to us via our Facebook, our Twitter account, any of the different methods that you can... Uh, Word. 
And the reason you should join our Patreon, not just contests like this, is we mentioned earlier that we're not going to cover the Kickstarters too much, but we know which ones we would have covered because it kind of dawned on us sort of late in the game that this was going to happen. So what we have decided to do was we let our Patreons know what Kickstarters we're going to cover, and we let them know like three weeks ago when we actually (laughs) recorded this. (laughs) So they actually had time to look at them. So yes, if you need a reason to join the Patreon, it's because I post there occasionally with stuff. Yep. And and I think going forward, we can probably, sometimes we're in this odd position timing wise where there's a kickstarter that we desperately want to talk about but because of the timing of it and the timing of our releases it just falls right in between the cracks so i think moving forward definitely check out the patreon page become a backer and you will get access to all these different updates we'll we'll post it there when we see something like that yeah i used to i I tweet those out sometimes too things we totally should have covered but just timing wise didn't happen congratulations to our big winner and thank you to all our patrons you guys again help keep the lights on here at the show and help us uh manufacture awesome content so let's get on to the rest of the awesome content in this episode. And first off, Department of Corrections, I screwed up twice. I was very tired in the last episode. So the original Mystera box set is called Champions of Mystara, Heroes of the Princess Arc, not Champions of whatever I said. Ignore it. I was tired. I'm sorry. I caught that when I was putting the show notes together. Speaking of things I caught when I was putting the show notes together, I don't know where I got like Dorminia or whatever I was saying for the original magic setting. It's Dominara. I think that's how you pronounce it. There were several more syllables and vowels than I gave it credit for. <laughs> so I don't know what I was, I was. But anyway, yes, that is the original magic setting. Sorry about that. I was I was very tired. We were both very tired. Yeah, it was a, it was a rough night. There is just one more thing. There is just one more thing. Just one more thing. So for the next four episodes, we've got an awesome contest that we're going to be running for our off-the-shelf segment. And it's coming to us from one of our awesome sponsors, Top Shelf Fun, who is donating not one, not two, not three, but four of their awesome game haul bags. Yes. Which you can win. Here's how you're going to enter. This is going to be a Twitter contest. So for this very, very first chapter of the four-part saga of this contest you are going to go to twitter and you are going to link us at forgot my dice and at top underscore shelf underscore fun and both those tweet handles will be in the show notes yes and use the hashtag game hall bag and give us a list of what games you're going to stuff in these these really neat bags if you haven't seen them yet Go to TopShelfFun.com, take a look. They're really fantastic game bags that are designed for hauling your collection around when you need to take it someplace. So again, go to Twitter, make sure you link us at ForgotMyDice, and at Top underscore Shelf underscore Fun. Use that hashtag, hashtag. GameHallBag, hashtag GameHallBag, and give us a list of the games that you are going to put in it if you win. Um, and luckily for you, the next chapter is probably coming up really fast. Yes, <laughs> the very next episode. The very, well, yeah, and the very next episode is probably going to come up relative. Timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly. Good luck to anybody who enters that. These bags are pretty awesome, and uh, I cannot speak highly enough of them. Also, uh, the shipping, I believe, will be handled by Top Shelf Funds, so you should probably follow them on Twitter so they can message you if you win. Yes, absolutely. So... Speaking of off the shelf, let's go ahead and get our other stuff out of the way. How about reading? Any any, any books crossing your path? Oh my god! So so I got my new iPad Pro, and my backlog of PDFs is uh, was extensive, and I started reading it. So this week I read completely uh, the Blue Rose RPG from Green Ronin, which I liked. I'm toying with the idea of putting a review together. I read a little role playing game called A Quiet Year which was recommended by one of the podcasts I was listening to, uh, which we will get to in a second. I didn't really read. I more flipped through the Mage 20th Anniversary Book of Secrets. So they wrote Mage 20th Anniversary, and they couldn't put everything in it. 
And that book ended up at pretty darn near, I believe, 600 pages, right? So they had to cut out some stuff, just a few things. That just a few things, when you collected it in a book, turned into 300 more pages of content. <laughs> it's a third of their content. Yeah, yeah. It's so much stuff, including a really, really long Q&A with the developer. With And it's not just like, this rule says this and this rule does that. Well, how does this work together? No, it's like really broad, like, what was your vision? And it was a really fun thing to read. And they didn't even have to, the space to really put in a, this is what Mage is inspired by, fiction, nonfiction, movies, the whole nine. So there's like 50 pages, not 50, it's more like three, but there's a lot of pages of books you can read. I don't know, it was, the la- I, I read most of the last chapter because I really liked that one. But yeah, no, it's it's it was really cool. Anything for you, Jonathan? You've been reading? Uh, the only thing I've been reading lately are instruction manuals for the games that I'll be talking about in a moment. It, it's been a, a little bit of a dry spell because we did a road trip to uh, Iowa. Mm-hmm. And so I spent a lot of time listening to podcasts. But sadly, I was not able to read because I was driving for 35 hours. That sounds like fun. 35 hours straight? Not fun? Well, no. It was 17 and a half hours of driving each way. But shout out to my kids who were awesome. Uh, all four of them behaved fantastically i was expecting a trip through hades and i ended up in a very pleasant place so i really can't complain yeah my boys probably would have just cried for an hour or two straight and then passed out just to do it all over again yes if you're ever going to take road trip with kids by the way my wife planned this out in a, in a fantastic way she planned it so that we would leave at 7 30 in the evening we fed all the kids and they passed out and then i drove the first shift until about two in the morning, three in the morning, and then she took over. Yeah, the kids slept through the vast majority of the the road trip. That's the way to do it. Yeah, I guess so. So shout out to my wife for awesome planning. Thanks, Jessica. Uh, That's pretty much it for reading. What about uh, video games? I see here that you've gotten finally burned out on the Destiny. Yeah, yeah, I got, I got, I forget what gun I upgraded, or I was working on, oh, I was working on a quest to get a sword, and I just kind of petered out on it. But, you know, it's probably for the best, Destiny 2's coming, don't want to jump right into one from the other. That's what happened with Left 4 Dead, jumped from one to two, and just played two once, and then never touched it again. Oh, that's kind of sad, because two was the better game. Yes, so I've been, I've been kind of searching, searching for something to play, and I, I landed oddly on Far Cry Primal. Because which is so much fun. Yeah, which which I had a... <laughs> I really can't play that when my daughter's around. I know, that game is so brutal. Yeah, yeah. That game is so terribly brutal. Like like the lady that hangs out with you that likes collecting ears? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> How about that opening cannibal scene? Yeah. All right, then. Or the guy you run into who they cut off his arm and ate it? Yeah. 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 Things that we've learned today. Far Cry Primal is both fun and to be 100% avoided around children. Yeah, yeah. Especially because I, I like, uh, I, I kill people with spears at very close range. It's it's good fun. Yeah. Just getting up to within 10 feet of some somebody and throwing a spear into their chest is oddly satisfying. They've done some cool stuff with the Far Cry games these last few years and Primal really kind of... Well, Primal was them like taking the, the animal stuff from 4, I understand, and just dialing it up to 11. Yeah, pretty much. That's a really good way of describing it. So yeah, any other video games? No, no, no. I've been... I've been been thinking about playing uncharted but i haven't i haven't really decided yet I haven't had too much time and when i do i'm like i love those games i'm gonna go i'm gonna go. i think you're really gonna like it because it's basically the uncharted games are better indiana jones than anything we've seen on the silver screen in the last uh oh say 10 years harsh well it's not really hard to beat is it i like uh, crystal skull oh god that's a discussion for another day what i like bad movies you know I know, I, I know. There's liking bad movies, and then there's movies that are so bad they can't wrap around the dial again to come back to awesome. You, you have not seen Deathbed, the bed that eats. 
You cannot comprehend the lows to which movies can sink until you've seen that film. Oh, I've seen Twilight. I have. Okay. So we watched, like, me and my friends, we used to have movie nights, and we watched Deathbed, The Bed That Eats, which this is a true movie. I think a day or two later, we went and saw The Happening, and we were walking out of the movie theater, and we were bitching about The Happening and how bad it is, and then I said, you know what? That was way better than Deathbed, and everybody stopped and nodded, and you're like, that was way better than Deathbed. Oh, and, oh, and that oh. tabled the discussion of how bad that movie was. That is a remarkable level of bad. Yeah, yeah. Deathbed, the bed that eats is the only movie I've ever seen which is really bad, then so bad it's good, then so bad it's good it's bad, then so bad it's good it's bad it's good, and then the last half hour rounds the corner into bad and just leaves a sour taste in your mouth. Wow. Where it gives you the hope, and then it takes it away, and then it gives it to you again, and then takes it away. That is how bad that movie is. It's a work of art in crappy cinema. I'm going to have to watch that. If you can find a copy. There's there's some moments in it, man, that are amazing. Like when the bed eats Pepto-Bismol. It's amazing. <laughs> True story. It happens. It happens. And the bed makes a fun noise when it eats people. It goes, mm, 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 mm. And anybody who's seen that movie knows what I'm talking about. Don't go watch it. I'm not going to put a link to that in the show notes if I can find it. There's, uh, no. Save yourself. <laughs> Uh, so, Jonathan, tell me about movies and TV. I am continuing my canonical, chronological trip through the Star Wars universe. When I watched the Clone Wars TV show... Now, originally, are we talking about the Clone Wars, the computer one, or the animated one that the Samurai Jack guy did? The computer one. Okay. Because that's canon. Okay, I didn't know if the other one was considered so or not. I don't know. It, oh, it's so, not on that website. I was fooling around with it. Then, so. then it's not canon. Okay. It's kind of interesting, because I watched the Clone Wars when it first came out, and I always thought it was kind of disjointed. Now, watching it in chronological order... You realize why it's so disjointed because it's all over the place the first episode you watch is from season two the second episode you watch is from season three and then you start jumping around all over the place season one season four season three season two when you look at the chronological order of episodes the clone wars was basically just like little vignettes of the war that's all it was and and there were very few solid long-term storylines except when you start watching them in long-term order you realize that there were these huge overarching plots. So they had the whole thing planned out when they made the show. It's, it's really kind of impressive from that uh, respect. Weird. It, it does make you wonder, why didn't they just show them in order? So that's uh, pretty much it for movies for me. I did watch, uh, rewatch, I should say, Inglorious Bastards while I was folding uh, Forever Laundry the other day. One last show that I did manage to catch, um, I've started watching Into the Badlands when I have a little bit of free time and I'm doing something else. Man, that show is surprisingly fun. I've never heard of it. It's this weird post-apocalyptic show. I think they showed on AMC. It's really far in the future. Guns don't exist anymore for whatever reason. So everybody's walking around with kung fu and swords. Okay. There's some fantastic action sequences. Great fight choreography. It's like Babylon 5 cheesy, where it's so cheesy it actually romances you and you get caught up in it. Does that make sense? Never call Babylon 5 cheesy. Oh, come on. Let's call it That was, it was the greatest sci-fi and show of the 90s. I love that show. Yeah. I absolutely adore that show, but come on. There's a little bit of cheese going on there. The arc between Londo and Jakar is the most poignant thing I've ever seen on episodic television. I dare say it beats Miles O'Brien and Bashir. Is this like a fan fiction thing? No, Londo and Jakar. How dare you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> I just know how to get under your skin. You that's spend not, so much of you spend so much of your time getting me all riled up. It's my turn. Do you want it to be on, sir? It generally is. Okay. <laughs> all right. You have me at a disadvantage today, sir. But I can I can wait. The long con. The long con. <laughs> Let's go ahead and move into podcasts. Uh, you and I both discovered a new podcast. You mentioned it to me, and I started listening to it. Well, it's because they gave us a really nice shout out on Twitter. Yeah, which was awesome. We're talking about of Dyson men. I logged into Twitter one day, and it said, of Dyson Men said, really enjoyed my first listen of the show. 
you've got a natural dialogue between you that's entertaining to listen to, which I, I don't get. I don't understand that comment no, at all. No, 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 not at all. We started chatting on the Twitters like you do. I decided, like, oh, well, they listen to us, I'll listen to them. They are they, they have a radio show. Yeah, which in is Canada. Like, yeah, yeah, which is really cool. And then they, they post them online. So They I was got that NPR thing happening. Yeah, I know. It's fun. Yeah, they're, <laughs> all three of them are really good at the NPR thing. Yeah, they're totally good at the NPR thing. And they don't... What I'm really impressed with is they go live, and they don't have a lot of us. And no, no. They don't have a lot well of hands. They're very well spoken. I believe that's called embolalia. Embolalia? Yes. Fascinating word. Fascinating I word. agree completely. Oh, wow. The phone lines are really lighting up. Anyway. <laughs> 97.3 Regina Public Radio. Anyway, it, it, it was an awesome listen. They, uh, I listened to their two most recent episodes, and then uh, I, I recommend them to you because they're way down the, the board game rabbit hole than, than I tend to go. But I'm like, these, these guys yeah, are no, speaking the, to you. The show is completely They awesome. are like your people. <laughs> I, uh, I subscribe to the feed, and I'm three episodes in now. And uh, yeah, they've got a lovely show. I'm really impressed with their production quality. They have a really good rapport between the three of them, actually. Truth. It's just, it's genuinely fun to listen to. They've got some really interesting thoughts. And, like, and they had a, a long discussion about theme, uh, which was particularly interesting the way they kind of approached it, uh, you know, kind of redefining what theme is. I think board game players have adopted the word theme incorrectly, and they kind of look at theme from a true definition standpoint. It was really a good conversation. I will episode to, three, by the way. Episode three. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the podcast isn't that old. So if you start listening to it. Yeah, now, yeah, no. The most nice. recent episode was 16. Quick, yeah, yeah, it was 16, I think. Because they, they only do it monthly. So, or maybe it's every couple. I don't know. No, is it every two weeks? It's every two weeks. Every two weeks. Yeah, they do it every two. Anyway, it's it's easy to get caught up. And the reason we're talking so nicely about them is when we started having the Twitter conversation, I listened to the episode where they're talking about puzzle room board games. You know, puzzle rooms where you pay money and you go and you yep. unlock the puzzle. I've yeah. been to the one here in Austin several times. Yeah, yeah. I, me and Gina keep talking about going, but we're like, I don't know if we want to pay for it with you. I love it. It's fun. Well, I don't, and we're like, I don't know if we want to pay 50 bucks if it's lame. But then they're then they're like, oh, they have that in board game format. And Gina are like, oh, hey, a way to test it out without actually having to spend 50 bucks. But they gave us Unlock, Escape Adventures, and what, what's the subtitle? The Island of Dr. I believe it says Gorse. The Island of Dr. Gorse. And I promised when we play it, I'll wear a bucket on my head and talk in my best Brando. Oh, there you go. Yeah. We're, we're supposed to play it and then pass it along. So we're not... Yeah, this is a great idea, by the way. We're going to play it and we're going to pass it along and we're going to figure out a way to pass it along after we play it. it. It just came in the mail today and I'm really excited because on the inside of the cover, they have placed a little uh printout and it's got the players the city the time that it took and a total rating of stars that they want you to put on it and then they they're going to have you pass it along which is awesome so at some point uh some oh we're gonna, supposed to take a picture of it and, yeah. and tweet them back so we should do that we're going to play it we'll talk about it on the show when we do uh and then we're going to pass it along and i think we'll pass it along in a, in a fun and interesting way to one of you guys yes yeah that's the thought i think because that's the way they were saying they wanted to do it so check it out it's of dice and men and it is on canadian public radio yeah, if you're i think up we're it, giving it two thumbs up yeah. two thumbs up yeah yeah, yeah. i don't I'm, I'm not a big board game guy and i was impressed and I, like i said or like you said i'm, I'm impressed with the npr voice because that's that's hard to do you have no idea how much we cut out of this stupid show seriously oh yeah oh my gosh no we uh, we end up with a 90 minute show of which we record about three hours because we go down rabbit holes like crazy i know i sound amusing and jonathan too to a lesser extent but we say plenty of jokes that How don't land. How dare you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> if you I'm the wacky desk one. In between us, I would backhand you. I'm the wacky one, and you're the straight man. That is, that is true. I don't, which is so weird because in real life, I'm about as goofy as they come. Are you though? Are you? I have my moments. You have your moments, but this is just me, man. I can turn this on at will. It just takes a lot of effort. Very true. Very true. Very true. Very true. Very true. Anyway, 
I looked up the other words for straight man, and they were funny, but now I don't remember them. So I'm probably just going to cut out that train of thought, like I said I do. So anyway, yes, the fact that they put on a radio show in an hour. Yeah, it's impressive. It's impressive. It's impressive. And they don't go down any rabbit holes, and it doesn't sound scripted. I'm, I'm very impressed. Speaking of which, I also got another conversation uh, with, with another podcast, which this one's more up my alley. It is called Just One More Fix. I One of the hosts of it like followed us a long time ago on Twitter. And I always meant to listen to their podcast, and I kept forgetting because <laughs> I, I have twins and my my brain's a little scattered. So I, I finally listened to them, and man, they they have a nice little podcast too. It is very deep in the RPG rabbit hole, but they said something that was freaking brilliant. Episode thirty eight, they're talking about old topic on the show, playing RPGs with kids, and one of the yeah, things they said nice. they did with their kids, including their five year old, was they figured out a way to play an RPG with them. Have you ever heard of the role playing game Dread? Yeah. They don't play Dread, but they use the rules of Dread to do other stuff. Oh, because cool. a kid who can't add and can't read can play Jenga. So for, for those of you who don't know, Dread is a really interesting RPG system where you have a Jenga tower in front of you. And as a skill check, you actually have to remove pieces of the Jenga tower. It, it's kind of a visual for your sanity. Yeah, and or so it starts to crumble away and eventually will collapse. Yeah, and uh, the rules of the game are if it collapses, whoever cause it to collapse their character is removed from the game and but you can cause it to collapse if you want to heroically save your buddies yeah which will wheaton did a great episode of tabletop on it so if you want to yeah, watch that's it that's true he did didn't he that yeah. was a good episode yeah yeah so if you want to watch it go watch that but yeah, yeah yeah they they don't do that they don't like they don't go to your well son you knocked over the jenga tower you're out go to your room you know it's like they, they it's just failing a skill check you know because you can't you can't crush kids hopes and dreams but no, like that no. but I, I believe it was episode 38 they were talking about playing games with kids um, and they were also the ones that mentioned um, in a later episode, which I don't remember off the top of my head, uh, they were talking about uh, A Quiet Year as part of like world building. And so I, I went out and got that because it was sounded like an interesting read. If you want to listen to Way Down the Rabbit Hole of Board Games, of Dyson Men is good, after you listen to us, of course. Uh, and and uh, if you want to go the other way with RPGs, uh, Just One More Fix is also a very good podcast. But listen to us more because we love you. We do indeed. Yes. That's why we run so many contests. Yes. <laughs> Moving right along, let's get into board games and RPGs. RPGs. I'll crank this out. The super secret thing I've been playtesting, we rebooted. It yeah. was fun. Yeah, you were telling me about some of the changes you made. Those sound awesome. Yes, yes. So, yeah, we uh, we rebooted. We did a quick combat because I've had a busy week. I was kind of out of it because I got punched in the throat by allergies. Could barely talk for like a few days. So I don't know what we're going to end up doing with that, but hopefully something. And uh, any RPGs for you, sir? No RPGs, sadly. I did manage to read, like, I don't know, maybe 20 pages of my uh, Red Star. Have you finished D20 Modern? No, I keep going back to the Red Star just because it's the deepest compendium of backstory for that universe that I've ever seen. So I just keep getting lost in that. So yeah, sadly, no, not too much RPG stuff for me. In, in the miniatures world, I have not had an opportunity to pick up anything in paint no uh, in quite a bit unfortunately it's just been uh, it, it, well you, you were out of town last yeah, weekend I was out of town and we usually do it on sundays so yeah yeah so, well, we'll probably have a painting party next week i'm assuming no i mean you know being off for the holiday i'm gonna try and sneak some in tomorrow i think oddly enough the trip was really good for board gaming because i got a chance to play some board games with my kids i also played some board games with some co-workers which was awesome and so uh, i'll go ahead and go down the list real quick First up, of course, you and I played Terraforming Mars together yep. uh, in preparation for our deep dive, which will be later this episode. We also played Bears and Babies. Yeah, we did play Bears vs. Babies, which is um, a goofy game from the oatmeal. The Kickstarter just started shipping. I managed to get my copy in the first wave. It's just as crazy and goofy as Exploding Kittens, which is to say it's not a particularly deep game, but no. you can't help but to have some goofy fun while you're playing it. My kids sat down and played uh, another two chapters of Zombicide Black, Black Plague. Nice. They are really enjoyable. 
enjoying that. Um, my copy of Ghostbusters 2 fulfilled. Um, I backed the Kickstarter. Haven't had a chance to play it yet, but I was reading through the rules, and it looks like they fixed some of the issues I had with Ghostbusters 1, and the minis are really cool on this one. And then I've been playing a lot of Onirim, which is a one-player card game. A friend of mine suggested to me, and I, I picked a copy up, and there, I've actually come to find that there's an app version of it too, which means that you can play it that much faster. It's a set collection game, supposedly taking place in your dreams, and you're trying to find these six doors in the deck. But to uh, open up the door, you either need to have a key or you need to get a set of three of uh, a certain color that matches the door. But you have to have different symbols every time you put a card down. It's just a nifty game. It's very quick to play. It's a great one-player experience. And I, I, I really recommend it. It's super fun. Finally, I played some Colt Express, which is a super fun move, uh, programming movement game. Basically, get a, a, a hand of cards, which represent actions that you can do. You're all outlaws on a train. And the cool thing about this game is everything is in 3D. So you have these 3D train cars and everything is very open and wide. And, and you've got this cool train on your table. And then you, you program the movement uh, based on different scenarios that come up in the game. Some of the program movements are going to be visible to all players. Some are hidden. And you basically try and pick up loot from the train when you punch somebody it's kind of funny because they actually go flying in into an entire different car on the train it's very comedic that way like with any programming movement game all it takes is the first round and everybody's plan just goes completely to uh you know bonkers and nothing ever works out quite the way you want it to which is kind of half the fun it's it's the craziness of it so that is what we've had off the shelf of course we'd love to hear what you've had off the shelf uh join us in any of our online discussion groups on the uh, freebooters forums on our facebook page on our twitter feed even on our Pinterest page. And uh, we'd love to hear what you've had off the shelf. You have something positive to say about Pinterest? No, moving right along. <laughs> um, I thought really hard about that one, though. I want you to know. I did give it my best thought. There's so much cool art on Pinterest. It's fun. And I find all these cool articles. We'll be back in a few moments with There's our... D&D Homebrew. There's D&D Homebrew. Monsters, cool monsters from like pop culture. It's fun. I'm, I'm looking at that mute button real hard right now. I haven't said I'm, anything worth muting fighting, me for. I'm fighting it. Why? Robert, I'm fighting it. Dude, because, you're overplaying your because, hand right now. You are overplaying your hand. Because I found the power of the button, and now I'm intoxicated by it. And I just want to un- unleash my Kraken. And that's my Kraken. We'll be back in a few moments after a few words from our sponsors. When did the tables turn on me? It's not your day, buddy. It's, it's not, not day. my day. It is not your day. Oh, oh my All fa- empires fall, sir. Uh, All empires fall. No. I'll just remember. Never forget. See, here's the thing you don't know about me. I carry a grudge, sir. Oh, I know, but you love me. (laughs) So, moving right along. We'll be back after a few messages from our awesome sponsors. So, we'll see you in just a few moments. And now, a quick word from our sponsor, Top Shelf Fun, and makers of the amazing Game Hall Board Game Bag. Now, this is a piece of an essential kit for any gamer because it offers you storage, the ability to travel, and display for up to six ticket-to-ride-sized games. That even gives you a little room to spare. There's a brand new second edition of the bag that gives you this amazing upgraded, super-thick 15-millimeter padding on all sides that helps to protect your precious games, and a strong handle on top for carrying it, as well as padded backpack straps for ultimate transportation comfort. The Game Hall 2nd Edition bag is only $29.99 making it an amazing bargain for an amazing bag and it's available from topshelf-fun.com Captain, come in! It's a war zone out here! The trolls are about to overrun our position! There's casualties everywhere! No one can have a decent conversation without exploding into flame wars! 
I understand, sir. The other Mont and I are trying to hold them back, but no matter how many we ban, they just keep coming back in greater numbers. Captain, tell my wife. I... Freebooters Forums. A great place to chat with no trolls and no BS. All gaming, all the time. www.freebooters.com And welcome back from that short break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowds, our bi-weekly tabletop news, and this time not quite so Kickstarter segment. But let's go ahead and jump right in. Because before, we, before we start, I just want to say this out loud. During the break, we looked it up. The straight man and the wacky guy are also known as the B- Deadwood for the straight guy and Banana Man, which we thought was funny. Yeah. So if it is my curse to, this week to be the Deadwood... I will be a limp and useless Deadwood. Oh, I guess that makes me the Banana Man, and I don't really know what that means. So, moving right along, there is a fair amount of news as we continue. Was it an old vaudeville thing to pull out a banana out of your pocket? Oh, I'm just going to (laughs) just... Oh my! Whoa, whoa, am I turning the tables? Could happen. Is the mojo mojo spinning around? (laughs) Oh, my mojo! All right, well, we are in the middle of con season, and the middle of con season means lots and lots of news. So this, is, this sucks, by the way, because I thought the news tide was out this week. I thought it was out. It was out for a long time. No, but just in time for the episode, the, yeah. <laughs> the tide came back. Yeah, yeah, the tide did it, come it back. It brought so much with it. Yes, it did. So the first one's really, really exciting to me. Simon Berman, man, my, my Facebook bestie, he's doing everything since he left Privateer Press. Just in case you have forgotten, he is, of course, the man behind the Bob Ross game, which has now... <laughs> Managed to make it into three episodes in a row. <laughs> that's, that's approaching record. You know, you know what's kind of awesome? You know, since we're on the website, I can see what links people click on. And the Bob Ross game has gotten a surprising number of hits off of it out of our site. <laughs> you know, for us, it's... it's it's. Is it available for pre-order? Because I, <laughs> I, I gotta say, I am oddly fascinated by that game. I kind of want it. Yeah, yeah. I don't. No, I do want it. I think it's a Gen Con thing. But <sighs> anyway, so my Facebook bestie revealed another thing he's working on. But this one is much more up my alley. That is the Planet of the Apes board game. Coming to Kickstarter sometime soon. Is it real soon, Blizzard soon, or Valve soon? We will find out, or not for several uh, years, I guess. Being that they're planning a spring of 2018 release, they're probably going to have that Kickstarter relatively soon. Okay, so this particular game, because we do live in a universe that now has three distinct Planet of the Apes franchises. One of them only kind of counts. This takes place in the modern Planet of the Apes movies, of which we're about to get our third. Yes. Which, by the way, the trailer looks awesome. Never seen any of them. (gasps) Oh! Robert. I know. I have both of the fir- the first two on on video. You can borrow them. Okay. They're so good. Okay. They're so Do you did you enjoy the first ones? I own them. I own them on widescreen VHS. Okay. So anyway, this is uh taking place in the modern Planet of the Apes uh movie universe. This is a miniatures game and it's kind of neat because the board is actually in three dimensions. Yeah, there's there's three-dimensional trees with a couple of levels. I think there's like three levels to the trees. Yeah. Which and, which if you've seen the movies actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, and the I I'm assuming the apes can move in, up and down them pretty easily, but the humans probably have a few more problems doing that. So it, it's kind of asymmetrical because I'm assuming that the humans will have better weapons, but the apes can move around in the trees and take cover and all that. So it looks really neat. Jonathan, what's that company name that is w-y-s-i-w-y games we'll have a link in the show notes it's officially licensed it is coming to kickstarter blah 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 the planet of the apes miniatures board game is an action-packed game of combat and strategy for one to four players 
Players will command teams of apes or humans battling across a three-dimensional game board as they battle for the future of the planet. It'll include dozens of finely detailed plastic board game miniatures, including one of... Is that Caesar? Yes, that is Caesar, the main character. Yes, multiple game boards and high-quality components, and more information will be released over the coming months. And will we finally get a licensed likeness of Woody Harrelson as a miniature that I can paint? Because I didn't know I needed that in my life, but I kind of do. Yeah, yeah, so we'll see, we'll see. But yeah, that is uh, the Planet of the Apes board game coming to you on Kickstarter from WYSIWY Games. So, Jonathan, I know this next one got you super excited. And actually got me excited, too. Oh, yes. So this is the Genesis RPG system from Fantasy Flight Games. So this is the RPG system that is at the core of the Star Wars RPG game, which is, in my opinion, one of the best things to come out in, in, in of modern RPGs. And here's the thing. I've never played this because I'm very heavily invested in the previous edition, the D20 yes. edition. Yes. And I played a lot of it, so I haven't really had much interest. But here's the thing. Removing the Star Wars from it, so I'm not like buying Star Wars again, actually has me very interested in this game. So the, the whole concept of the, of the system itself, it's, it's all about building dice pools. And the dice pools are all narrative. There's a reason that every dice is added to the dice pool. And the nice thing is, if you're a player of the Star Wars RPG game, they have not changed the names of any of the dice, even though there is a different set of iconography in this version of the game. The old iconography is very distinctly Star Warsian, I guess you could say. How Star Warsian. You have two types of, let's call them positive dice. There are ability dice and proficiency dice. Ability dice are your basic traits, your basic characteristics, what you're capable of. Proficiency dice are an upgraded version of those ability dice that have much better uh, percentages in terms of positive symbols and give you access to a higher tier of uh, basically positive success because in this system it only takes one success to be able to do anything and that is the triumph which is the ultimate success that is um, something amazing happens so perfect example would be luke fires the proton torpedo at the death star he hits a triumph it goes right down the tube and blows up the the, the Death Star. So D and D nerds, that's rolling a twenty. Yeah. So there's difficulty and challenge dice. Yes, those, those are, are the, the negative. negatives. Yes. And and the negative is important because uh, if you do a skill check, it's going to be against a base difficulty. The base difficulty is going to represent the skill or difficulty of uh, whatever you're working against or trying to do. And those come in two tiers as well. There's the the difficulty is the lower tier, and the challenge is the upper tier. And the challenge dice has the despair symbol on it, and the Despair symbol means that terrible, terrible things are happening. When Luke was fighting Darth Vader on, in Empire Strikes Back, Luke rolled a despair and he got his, arm, his hand chopped off. And then I see two more dice, the setback and the boost. So these are, again, this is a narrative system. So the boost and setback die are given based on the narration that is occurring. So perfect example. Han Solo is on the top of the skiff in Return of the Jedi. Guess what? He can't see very well. He's getting setback die to his basic abilities and proficiencies. Because his abilities and proficiencies are always there, right? That's who Han Solo is. Mm -hmm. But he has uh, just come out of Carbonite. Here's a, a setback die. And you can't really see all that well. Here's another setback die. He's got Chewie there holding onto his foot and telling him to aim higher. So he gets a boost die. That's how these narrative dice uh, work with each other. And every time you're, you're, you're getting ready to roll, you're constructing a pool of dice based on the narrative of what's happening. Every die has a reason to be there. And, and a GM that's using the system appropriately is explaining why every die is there. It's, it's an awesome, awesome system. Well, I'm intrigued. Yeah, and they're doing all kinds of cool stuff. There's going to be 
basically rules there for fantasy, for steampunk, for weird war, for modern day, for science fiction. I cannot speak highly enough about this system. It is so, so flexible. And the one thing I've always wanted ever since I read my first core rulebook for the, the Star Wars system is, hey, can I have this system that I can use elsewhere? And here and, we are. Yeah, finally, finally. It's like, what, three, four years, four years later. That is the Genesis RPG system by Fantasy Flight Games yeah, coming I'm, to us Q4. I'm salivating. Q4. I'm salivating. So they'll probably have a preview at Gen Con, I'm guessing. So no, I, I would bet that they release it at Gen Con. For Q4? Oh, I guarantee. No, I, I'll bet you. They'll, they'll I'll, I'll bet you. It, no, no, I'll bet you they'll have copies of Gen Con. I bet you won't come out to your FLGS until. A month oh, or two yeah, later. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll see you there. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. So, speaking of Fantasy Flight, they have announced another Rune Wars expansion, and this one I did not see coming. The Uthuk Yilan. Which I, doing a cursory reading of their stuff, assumed were orcs, but no, <laughs> these are friggin' demons. They are the army of the Locust Horde, because locusts, you know, those are nice. They're going to have Uthic Berserkers, Flesh Rippers, Spine Threshers, and their dark he- hero, Ravos the Everhungry, in addition to other customizable figures and tokens and whatnot. So yes, this is the fourth faction for Rune Wars, I want to say. Yes. It's Rune, because- Rune Wars is starting to shape up. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got four factions. Like that, that's a good place to be in, I think. And and hopefully we get another one or two. But yeah, now this one's cool because it it doesn't have any obvious fantasy tropes that it's copying. You know, because before we had the elves and the humans. And no, this is something original. This is something. It's like Gears of War meets Diablo. Yeah, yeah. It's it's cool demons. So yeah, if you like your demons and you're playing a game that doesn't have demons to your liking, check these out. They look pretty cool. And these Some are really cool cool sculpts too i might yeah yeah like i like all their their cloth kilts and whatnot they look cool now idw has been really blowing it up lately um they produced the teenage mutant ninja turtles game recently by the Uh, way if you asked me about idw being a game company like two three years ago well i'm cynical and awful but i would have said that's that's never gonna work but they're they're actually turning out some good stuff no they're turning out some great stuff i've got the teenage mutant ninja turtles game uh, that That comes in a pizza cake (laughs) it does hashtag pizza cake it'll be in the show notes oh yeah there it is yeah um, and that game actually turned out really, really well. It, it's a great production. Well, they're continuing their run, and now they are releasing the Legend of Korra Pro Bending Arena. And this is, what, another Nickelodeon game, right? Yeah, yeah. This is their second collaboration with Nickelodeon after uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which, you know, was a very interesting game. And, and I, I know you love it. You want to play that so bad with me. Yeah, I really do. I think you'd have a good time with it. <laughs> it's two, two players each take control of a team. Draft card decks for their benders, and then play cards to place elemental tokens around the board in an effort to overwhelm their opponent. As in the show, pro-bending matches are a game of push-pull, with the objective to be the team that either has advanced the furthest forward or completely knocked their competitors out of the ring. I kind of missed the whole Legend of Korra um, uh, avatar thing. I was just a little too old for that when it came out. Yeah, I did too. I don't get it. But that's okay. I mean, people love it, and... It is very popular, so hopefully this game will do it justice. Yeah, no, it sounds fun. You know, you're, you're throwing you're throwing earth, air, fire, and water at each other and trying to advance up the board. IDW's production value is uh, is very high. I mean, the, the production of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. And- I, I don't even care about the production. Their gameplay is actually pretty decent. Yeah, everything no, no, I've read, absolutely. and and, and that's and that's that's the greater test. And so I'm intrigued by this game, and I will totally sit down and play it, even though I'm not ter- a fan of Avatar or Legend of Korra. I've not seen either of these shows. But I will totally play this game because IDW, like I said, a couple of years ago, I would have said you were crazy that they would be doing anything. And now they're they're a game company where it's like, yeah, I'll try one of their games. They're, they generally treat me well. So All right, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to this one. It's uh, going to be 50 bucks, 49.95 expected MSRP. They're going to have a Kickstarter later this summer with a general release in the fall. Now, next up in our news is I would say that this might be the biggest 
indicator of the huge growth of popularity of, of board gaming uh, and, and tabletop gaming in general because of all the expansions that these folks have done around this. And that is that Gen Con is expected to 100% sell out of badges, which is the first time ever in the 50 years that that's happened. Yeah, and I know they majorly expanded their play space because they kicked um, the, the dungeon thing out to another area. Yeah. And I yeah. know they've taken over a couple of other hotels they, for other events, they, too. I mean, they basically gobble up almost the whole of convention space of available in Indianapolis when they have their convention. It's just gigantic, the sheer volume of, of space that they take up. And the fact that they're going to sell out is just jaw-dropping. Yeah, and they do everything there. They have board games. They have major card gaming tournaments. Yep. They have you know RPGs galore. If you're galore. a card gamer, if you're a miniatures gamer, if you're a board gamer, cosplaying. if you're an RPG gamer, if you're a cosplayer, yeah. Gen Con is the, the place If you're a panel guy, a lot of podcasts go there to record. Yeah. We, we should get a business for this podcast so we could write that off as a business expense. Yeah, that would be nice. That would be nice. Um, so yeah, Gen Con is going to be selling out this year, which is gigantic. Do you think this will kick them over for the judges of the Diana Jones Award? Because they're up. I don't know. I don't know. Now, moving right along, uh, we are getting a new version of Settlers of Catan. Didn't realize that we needed this, but apparently we do. And apparently that is we do. the Game of Thrones Catan. Brought to you by FFG, or I guess Asmodee bought it. But yeah, they, they sniped out and they mashed one of their big properties into it. And man... This looks like... It's been a while since I've played Catan. I got a little Catan'd out. It's still a fantastic game, but... We've talked got, about it before, how yeah, I didn't play Catan for out. years because like, I got into board gaming late. And so by the time I got into board gaming, I'm like, hey, let's play this classic Settlers of Catan. All my buddies are like, God, not that game more. Yes. Who so would want to do that? This is subtitled The Brotherhood of the Watch. And it takes place on the White Wall. And I do have to say, having read through this article, this does look like a definitive version of Catan. I think it steals a, a page from the Star Trek Catan where you, you play a character. Yeah. and But you also, every so often, the White Walkers come and you have to defend yourself, which, you know, puts an external threat. Now, is this the same thing as the robber, you know, when you roll whatever? Or is this something new? We don't know. But it, it still looks really cool. Now, the really cool thing is that because it's at FFG, they, of course, get access to FFG's extensive library of Game of Thrones art between the board game and the LCG and all their other uh, work with that property. I mean, they're, the art in this game is fabulous. Well, it's FFG. Yeah. That, they don't even get credit for that anymore. <laughs> Settlers of Catan, Brotherhood of the Watch. A Game of Thrones version of Catan uh, is coming soon. Demo at Gen Con with availability in Q4 of 2017. Ford at Gen Con. And finally. Yeah, rounding out the news. So, Zombicide the Green Horde is over. Yes. And they are having, they have a link which we'll put in the show notes. If you wanted to get in on it and you forgot or didn't whatever, you can you can still pre-order the Kickstarter. That and is and still let me up. just say, as a backer, my gosh, what you get for your pledge is phenomenal. So many extras. Yeah, so for 120 bucks, you can still get in on the Kickstarter for all intents and purposes for the foreseeable future. It might be over by the time you're hearing this. Who knows? And uh, this is not for people who pledged one buck. This is not the backer kit or whatever. This is just a separate thing in case you want to get in on it. And what's cool about the late pledges, they do give you all the Kickstarter exclusives. Yeah, which, which is, is not, really generous. That is very nice. I know you've been dying to talk about it, Jonathan. How did this game do versus Rising Sun? 
I'm so conflicted with the whole thing because I wanted Rising Sun to be that plucky upstart, that new IP that you know comes out swinging, and it did come out swinging. It came out swinging uh, because it uh, took over as Simon's most funded Kickstarter of all time at four point two million, so four million two hundred twenty-eight thousand and sixty dollars. And the the big question was, you know, with with the new Zombicide coming out. Would it retake the crown because Zombicide is such an established, well-known IP? Well, the Kickstarter is over and Zombicide, it was neck and neck for about the first 10 days. And then Zombicide during the lull, it didn't have the lull. It hmm. just kept going to the tune of $5,004,614. Zombicide took it back. My favorite was that when they were approaching the record, they actually had a stretch goal that would fund if it broke the record. And I just thought that was really funny that they had a stretch goal that, that would specifically tagged at the 4.228 mil. So, um, yes, Zombicide retakes the crown. The the Green Horde came stumbling out and uh, completely took it away from Rising Sun by about 750 grand, which is a remarkable, remarkable achievement. Yeah, that's a lot of Snapple. <laughs> yes, it is. I don't even know where to go with that comment. That's it for our news in this particular episode. Now let's go ahead and do a, a uh, machine gun Kickstarters. First one is you, Yellow King RPG. Go. Yellow King RPG. We should have covered it, but we can't. So I'm sorry, Robin Laws, but you're making a ton of money. So it looks cool. Gumshoe system. Check it out. It's in the show notes if it's still going on. All of these we put posted in our Patreon. So if you yeah. join our Patreon, you could have gotten these three weeks ago. Uh, next up, Top Secret 2nd Edition. I backed it. This RPG looks awesome. It is basically... Um, it's the second RPG that TSR produced. It was right after D&D. Yes. So it's, it's Super Spies. Super Spies the RPG. James Bond the RPG, back when nobody could get and, poisoned. And, and this is one that did not age well. And it's not from a mechanics perspective. It didn't age well because the Cold War ended. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of broke the system. The mechanics may have had something to do with it. I'm sure they were janky. I don't but think the mechanics broke the Cold War. But this uh, this update looks cool. Like uh, everything that I've read about it lo- looks awesome. I'm really excited. I have backed it myself, so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I have a feeling we'll probably have to sneak this one in this deep dive once it comes out. So it's top secret second edition. Uh, number three is Dungeons of Doom, which is the new uh, uh, Dwarven Forge Kickstarter. To it, it, they're going back to dungeons after having done dungeons and cities and castles and I forget what they've been doing. But yes, they're back in dungeons. Looks super sweet. They have a lot of options to get, you know, dungeon rooms for your D&D in. You can build a lot more easily because they, they have these corridor walls, which are ingenious. Highly modular because it's probably going to be over by the time you're hearing this, but you should have gotten into that if it sounds interesting. I mean, interesting. Dwarven Forge in general. I mean, follow them if you need terrain because their terrain is... Yeah, and, and get the unpainted stuff. It's not hard to paint. No, not at all. Yeah, I just, I just dry brush. This is literally what I do with it. I dry brush a dark gray onto it. Then I get kind of a gray-green, and I paint random bricks gray-green, and then I dry brush a light gray over all of it, and I'm done. You could even go one step further and put that Agrax Earthshade from Games Workshop on it, because that'll get the brown grit in the middle. Yeah, that works too. So there you go. Next up, Stonebound Saga. It's on Kickstarter right now. This is a really cool-looking card game. It's got a lot of fantastic art in it. You build up a team um, based on the strategy that you choose. It's a two-to-six players, skirmish-style card game. And I have to say, this this world looks cool, this game looks cool, and in a very, very smart move, player boards actually have uh, plastic sliders in them, and you slide up and down the different tracks to uh, track things like current health and things like that, and your XP and whatnot, and it's just... It looks like a really cleverly put together game with really high production value, so I'm really excited about this one. That is Stonebound Saga. Next up is Action News. 
So Action News is uh, the game of television news, which is kind of a wacky theme for a game. It's a really fast-paced social card game. Uh, It's pretty light to play, but it's kind of... It's interesting the way you construct the different news stories and whatnot. It's got a lot of options to it, which means that replayability is going to be very high. And it just, it struck me as interesting. Uh, and it's really not that expensive either. It's only, I think, 45 bucks or something. That is Action News, the game of television news. And last but not least on our list, which is a Kickstarter that probably actually still will be going on. <laughs> yes, because it's huge. Yeah, I, I I wonder if they accidentally hit a wrong number there, because I, I think I checked it today. And no, it's you see that occasionally on Kickstarter. People trying something like that. Yeah, yeah. well, anyway, I think I, if I remember correctly, we'll find out because it's coming up right now, but I think it had 56 days left. Yes. So Magic of Legends is a cooperative adventure game, which is the big reason why I put it on the list, because it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for co-op these days. One to four players, and the the minis actually are really, really cool looking. And there's a lot of really cool art in it as well. Yeah, there's a cool big demon that ro- and, rotates. And, and it's, it's your classic fantasy tropes, warrior, uh, it's assassin, but rogue, yeah. hunter, and mage. So, you know, just now, run around, murder thing, stuff, murder one, hobo. One thing that really caught my eye on this one is that it uses hex tiles instead of the cube style of, say, like, uh, Widower's Wood. Instead, we get these hex tiles to manufacture the game environment, and I thought that was kind of unique. It's an interesting way of doing it. And there's actually a really cool story behind this. Uh, if you look at the guy's Kickstarter page, obviously English isn't his first language. I will kind of go ahead and, uh, you know, say, just kind of beware. But he started the game as something he was making for his son, and he's got all kinds of pictures on how it has evolved from... Uh, basic drawings and and graph paper basically essentially dungeons and then how he was constructing he experimented with cubes then he switched to um the hexes and you can kind of see the evolution of the game and i thought that was kind of a it's got a neat story behind it and he's actually made a pc version of it on that's available on steam magic of legends the adventure game which probably still has plenty of time left. 57 days. I was wrong. One more day. <laughs> 57 days. So there's a very good chance that you'll be able to take a look at this. Um, and our last bit of news is a slightly more somber bit of news because the gaming world lost, um, I think, what a lot of people would consider one of the... He's one. Of, I would say he's one of the legends. Yeah, he's definitely legend status. And that is one of the original founders of White Wolf Publishing, Stuart Wick, uh, unfortunately passed away. He was pretty young, too. He was 49. Appears to have had a heart attack while he was at fencing practice, so he literally died with a sword in his hand. Yeah, and it's been really touching because it's not just the White Wolf guys. Like, a whole no, bunch no, of the, the, the old school people are just, the are just really sad. The entire community really opened up about it. I mean, you can tell that, that Stuart really was somebody who touched a lot of people. In fact, I got an email today from an RPG that I backed, and the author had taken a several-week break because of Stuart's death. Because they had been talking about publishing the RPG. With his that, company, Nocturnal? Yeah. He had nothing but the kindest words to say about, about him. Yeah, that's as, the, as everybody is. It's yeah, universal. it's amazing just reading the stories of this guy. And and he was kind of more behind the scenes at White Wolf a little bit. So by the time I was into White Wolf stuff, I, I hadn't really heard of him much. But you, you might recognize some of the games that he either worked on or created uh, himself. Mage the Ascension. Yeah, he he really worked on the first edition of that. Vampire the Masquerade, which he, he, defined 90s RPG playing. Uh, you know, the, it was the the first non-D&D system that really kind of went mainstream. Yeah, yeah. And he, he developed a lot. The the whole Kane is the first vampire. That was his idea. After White Wolf, he started up a new company. Um, and they're publishing the Pendragon RPG, uh, Scarred Lands, Belly of the Beast, Shotguns and Sorcery, which is the first licensed uh, cipher system game. Talislantia, which we've talked about before. 
And then while he was at White Wolf, they did a fiction imprint beyond just publishing fiction for their various role-playing games. He tried to keep Elric in print, the Borderlands uh, series edited by Thomas F. Montalin, and uh, a book I've read, the Sonya Blue series by Nancy A. Collins, which are, uh, they're a fun vampire hunts other vampires series of books. And also a lot of stuff by Harlan Ellison. And then oddly enough, because the, the gaming world is so weird and tight and everything, Will Pagani who used to own Asgard Games in Houston, Texas, and left to go get a job at Privateer Press. And Will Pagani was like one of the big names when I was really into War Machine. He was mm-hmm. one of the big players. Stewart bought, bought Asgard Games. like he, he was the new owner of it. All these things are all interrelated, and, and it's a much smaller world than you think. So yeah. this is probably very old news by the time you hear of it. There's no greater way to remember the man than to go and either just read something we just talked about, like Elric or the Borderlands or Sonya Blue, if you can find it, Yeah, or, or just play one of his games that he worked on. And there, there's a ton. Nocturnal Media is producing a ton of games right now. So I, I, I kind of picked and chose, but there's a lot on their website. So, so take a moment to go and, and play in the worlds that he, he spent so much of his life creating because he did a fine job of it and you know he, he will be missed. And of course our, our thoughts uh, go out to his family in this terrible time. So that brings us to the end of our news segment today. Uh, after a short break, we'll be back with our deep dive and we'll be talking about terraforming Mars. And now a quick word from our sponsors, Geek Nation Tours, and man, do they have an amazing tour coming up. This one all about Essen, a tour through Germany. Now, of course, it's all going to culminate in a fantastic couple of days at the Essen Game Show, which, of course, is legendary in and of itself. But before then, you get almost 10 days worth of activity all throughout Germany. You get to go to Munich, and in Munich you're going to get a chance to play Dominion and be joined by Rodney Smith from the Watch It Played YouTube channel. And mind you, the entire time you're in Munich, you're going to be enjoying Oktoberfest, which is legendary in and of itself. You're going to get to see castles that inspired games like Castles of Mad King Ludwig. You're going to get to see all the areas that inspired places like Settlers of Catan. And you're going to get an opportunity to go through many, many German cities, learning all about both the country and all the games that it inspired. And of course, it all culminates with a bunch of days at the Essen Game Show, which is the be-all, end-all of all European gaming. So take a look at GeekNationTours.com for all the information on the Essen Tour. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back for the break. It is now time for our deep dive. We've got a fantastically interesting game to talk about in today's deep dive. And that is, of course, Terraforming Mars. Uh, I've been waiting so long to talk about this, Robert. I've had this on my shelf for quite some time, and it, it is finally time to dive into it. Let's go ahead and get started. In the 2400s, mankind begins to terraform the planet Mars. Giant corporations sponsored by the world government on Earth initiate huge projects to raise the temperature, the oxygen level, and ocean coverage until the environment is habitable. In Terraforming Mars, you play one of these corporations and work together in the terraforming process, but compete for gaining victory points that are awarded not only for your contribution to the terraforming, but also for advancing human infrastructure throughout the solar system and doing other commendable things. You know, I want to start off this conversation by talking about 
how well the game hits everything that is in that description. It is hugely, hugely thematic. Yeah, it's very on point with its theme. And what I liked about it was, in a lot of games like that, like if you flip through all the various corporations, you know, it would probably be a little farcical, you know, in in some respects, or there'd be movie references. And some of them would clearly be bad guys, but I didn't see one that had any sort of villainous intent. No, there's there's no villainous intent at all. I mean, these are just companies that are trying to terraform Mars. I mean, it's that simple. So it should be said, actually, that these corporations have a major impact on gameplay because the gameplay in this game is asymmetrical. Every corporation has uh, something different that they are good at, whether it is a starting resource that they start with a lot of, uh, a different income level at the beginning of the game, a different level of generation, because at its heart, what we're dealing with here is an engine builder. Uh, So let's let's talk about the basic traits, because that'll help explain what the corporations do well. So as a player, you basically have six resources you generate, which... Don't get me wrong, is a fair amount of resources. Yes, absolutely. Starting at the top, income. You got income, which is like what was it? Mega credits. Mega credits. Yes, yes. <laughs> which I kept making riff jokes about because I, I was like, yes, are these worth a hundred credits? Like I, I, I just love mega credits. It's just such an astronomically huge thing of money, and you generate every turn. You generate mega credits. It's equal to your current terraforming rating. Plus a modifier, which is going between to be minus f- up and down. Yeah, which is between minus 5 and plus 10. Yes. Before we move oh, on to sorry. the rest of them, I, I do want to say the, the credits thing is interesting because that means that as you play the game, regardless of the modifier, you're going to be making more money with every single turn because you can't help but to slide up that victory point track. Well, there's a few ways to lower it. But yeah, in, in general, you're more or less going up more than down. Yeah. The second resource is steel. Um, it's represented by a little brown, like, roof housey looking thing, the symbol-wise. And, and steel's interesting because it's the first of the resources that has no bearing whatsoever on anything but manufacturing a specific type of card. So in, in the game, we haven't really talked about the cards yet. So yeah. in, in the game, there's this humongous, I mean, just truly gigantic deck of cards. And these are project cards. These represent different projects that you can do on the surface of mars to help in the terraforming process right it costs three mega credits to purchase a card into your hand there is no hand limit you can have as many of these as you want so you can start purchasing stuff um, that you'll lose use later in the game based on what becomes available to you because every turn you get four cards handed to you and you can buy as many of them as you want or none or none and these all have different uh they have different iconography. Yeah, they have. So, different... so some of them, the way it basically breaks down is the brown that we just mentioned, the the uh, the steel. They are typically like projects structures. structures that are on the planet on the planet Mars. And for each steel that you spend when you're trying to build one of these, it counts as two credits, unless you have a corporation that lets you modify that. Correct. The next one after that is uh, titanium. Yes, and that is worth three credits for any space-related project, which is has a symbol of a little star. And a lot of those, like there's uh, colonies on Ganymede, there's asteroid mining, anything that's not directly on Mars but orbiting yes. it, that is a space project. The next resource down is plant. Typically, although not always, you do not use plants when you are building things, but there are plenty of exceptions. Yes. One of the things you can do with plants is you can plant forests with them. If you get eight plant resources, you can turn them in and get a forest, which does a lot of effects. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah. The next one after that is energy, which, mm-hmm. again, typically not a resource you spend, but there are many exceptions where sometimes if you're building like a generator or something, it'll there say there you have to... energy requirements that you need to pay out. Yeah, yeah. Energy gets converted over to our final resource, which is heat. Mm-hmm. And heat 
generates for you every turn. You can spend eight heat to raise the temperature of the planet, or sometimes things just require you to spend it. Yes. Between all six of these resources and the projects that you implement, you are trying to accomplish three goals, and everybody's working together towards these goals. So I would call this a semi-cooperative game. Yeah, there's not so much stabbing you in the back, at least in the basic game. Yeah, so you are trying to alter the temperature of Mars, bringing it up to positive 8 degrees centigrade. You're trying to increase the oxygen level uh, in Mars's atmosphere. To 7%? 14%. And you are also trying to melt the water that's trapped on, uh, on Mars and create a couple of oceans, representing 14% of the landmass of Mars. And it's, it's nine ocean tiles. Yes, or- nine ocean tiles. And the forest tiles that you put down have a positive influence on the oxygen level of Mars, the ocean tiles are just working towards that end game because you cannot end the game until all three of those things are maxed out. The heat resource that you're using is pushing that heat level up, and all three of those things are represented on the board by a combination of sliders showing you where on each of those tracks you are, and hex tiles that are placed down on a map of Mars showing a variety of different locations on Mars, of which several of those tiles are specifically available only to ocean tiles. So you won't be filling those in until you get a little bit further along in the game. And and the science nerd me is happy to report that the face of Mars that is on that map is actually one side of Mars. Yes. Like real, you know, real and true Mars. And And they have an expansion, which has the other side of Mars just for funsies, which I thought was actually a nice touch. That is actually something that we can uh, really say... uh, about a lot of the different cards in the game. This game is is one of those games that's actually surprisingly firmly rooted in, in real science. This is not science fiction. Are, are we to the level where we're going to be terraforming Mars yet? No. But everything here is based in reality. The other type of tile you can put down is you can put down city tiles. When you play them, generally they'll give you some sort of benefit. Yeah, most of it is economic. They they they, they generate money for you. They, they but there, there are other price. things. Like I, I made a research station, which didn't do much for me, but I could put it like way off in a corner next to stuff I don't own. When you place tiles, generally you have to put it next to stuff you own, unless you get one of those weird research stations or something that says different. A city tile is one of those end game pieces, though, because you do own a city if you build one. And it is worth victory points equal to the number of forest tiles that are directly adjacent to one of its six sides on the hex. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. And you don't actually have to own the forest. You just have to be next to them. Which is kind of nice because it it behooves you to really kind of start plopping down a lot of cities. And a lot of forests. So really what we're dealing with here is a relatively basic mechanic. It's you Terraforming manage- Mars is a really weird mix of it it's an engine builder and engine building in and of itself is typically very basic but there is a lot of fiddliness to it because yes. there we haven't even gotten into the animal and the biological icons. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> it, it should be said that your your basic actions are around managing your hand of cards and implementing those projects which all come with a specific cost then adjusting your production each turn accordingly. And that's, that is the basics of the game. At its core, the game is incredibly simple. But where the variety and where the complexity of the game come in are on those project cards, because those project cards are hugely game-modifying. And not even just the project cards, the corporation cards. Yes. Because my corporation, I could spend heat as money. Near the end of the game, I got all of my energy up to max... The energy, if you don't spend it, becomes heat the next turn. And then I bumped my heat up to max. So I was generating 20 extra bucks a turn just because my corporation had this ability. Yeah. And then your corporation, you just started, you just got a lot of titanium? Yeah. So I started the game with a whole lot of titanium. When I spent titanium to purchase projects, my titanium was worth four mega credits, not three. 
So I was able to purchase um, you could do space, space based stuff. stuff very, very, very easily, as you saw by that huge string of actions that I made. Yeah, there's a lot of variety that you can do. Since you can get cards and you can pick to purchase them or not because it costs you money to buy them, and it's just there, there's just a lot going on in the game, and that and that's what's really interesting about it because, like again, again at its core, it's a very simple game. It's a very simple you have six resources, spend them game. The way it plays out on the the board is just, it's really complex. And it's yeah. not like complex in a bad way. Cause I, no, I, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Because the complexity is enclosed in that project card and it's very easy to follow, very easy to understand. We never really had to go digging f- through the rule book for any kind of justification for anything. It all kind of made sense. Yeah. And I, I see why people are really big on this game on the internet and why we've seen it pop up in a lot of things. Cause it had that scythe thing going on with me. I figured out how yes. to play this game very quickly. Yes. Extremely quickly, which is, which is an oddity for me. Cause usually it takes me a while to feel it out. And, and that's what I liked about it. After turn one, I got it. It was very simple. The other little wrinkle is there is a first player token. And it does pass around the board. So, like, Jonathan, you were first on the first turn, and then you had your buddy, and then it was me. And then after we all went, first turn moved over to your buddy, and then I went second, you went last. And it just yeah. goes around like that. So one turn you're first, one, the next turn and, you're and last. And that can and work very, very much into your strategy. Because if you remember, I completely screwed Dale. Uh, I had a lot of heat generation very early on in the game. Yeah. And so I was using that to raise the temperature of Mars, which translated to victory points and more income. So I was using that very specifically because I was very carefully counting the number of turns and the possibilities that were available to me. And I constructed, based on the turn order, a perfect time to drop one additional heat bubble up because every so often on all of those tracks, you do get bonuses. For instance, when you hit certain spots on the, the overall temperature of Mars, you get a bonus to your heat production. So I timed it so that when the turn got to me, I was able to perform the action to get that bonus twice. And Dale got very upset at me about that. <laughs> <laughs> so at the bottom of the board, there are awards and milestones. Milestones, basically you can claim them as an action. There are five. There Only three can be chosen, and they are eight credits. And basically, it's mega you, credits, please. Oh, I'm sorry. At least I'm not mistaking my energy for my heat, sir. <laughs> There's only five you can pick from, but it's basically like the first person to 35 victory points can claim the the victory point one, which is worth yeah, five extra points at the like end. Achievements in a video game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but, but the trick is that only three people can grab them, so. and, and it takes an action, which which is a big expenditure of resources, because yes, you only get two actions per turn. Yeah, exactly. And then on the other side, uh, awards are more like a bet yeah they they're definitely a gamble so they they rack up in cost yes uh, 8 14 and 20 yeah so it's even a bigger expenditure resource and they're not worth that all that many more victory points basically you're betting on who will be first at the end of the game at something and if you're right you get five points and if they that person comes in second place you get two points yes it's basically like you know who's got the most money the most heat the most resources it's it's pretty basic yeah that one's really hard to play because if you bet early you know you Yes, you get the discount, but it's it might be too early to tell about anything. Yeah. So it's it's a really interesting mechanic. Like I said, there is a lot going on on this board. If it sounds like there's a lot, there is a lot going on. But yeah. oddly, it it fits together rather well. Oh yeah, it it's incredibly easy to teach and learn. I mean, we only spent about what ten minutes going over the rules, and we had no major hiccups jumping right in. No, no, no. We we had, there were a few like FAQ things when we were looking up keywords, but it was it was not due to lack of. That was the exception, not the rule. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Which is unique in a game with this much complexity. It must be said that in addition to the the project cards that you can roll out, there are is one other item on the board off to the left, and those are your standard actions. And those are just basic things that you can do to help in the terraforming process. For instance, 
changing the eight greenery to a forest tile or changing the eight heat into a uh, movement up on the the temperature uh, tracker those are standard actions along with a couple other things like building a city and whatnot yeah and, and you can just spend a whole ton of money just doing one of those typically if you build it off of a card it's slightly cheaper and it comes with other bonus effects so in general it's one of those things you only do that if you have nothing else better to do and you've just got the resources that you don't need for any other reason the whole game just sings really good like everything yeah. just works it's weird What's great is the value that they've put in this package, because there is a single-player rule variant, which I have played and is phenomenal. It uses all the same basic functions of the game. You just track score a little bit differently, and you're trying to maximize your trip through the terraforming process. Mm -hmm. And there's also a second entire deck of project cards and another set of corporations that are more advanced in nature that you can then fold into the game once everybody kind of learns the basics of the game to make the game have even more variety. Not to be outdone, it also has a set of basic corporations. So if you want to teach the game or you want a game that's not quite as yeah. you know, they, they, weird with the, the asymmetrical. corporations are all identical. They all start with the same number of credits and there is no modifier. It's nice. They, they give you the, the easy mode for learning. They give you normal mode and then they give you hard mode for when the game... It's like it's got its own expansion built in, which is yeah. a nice touch. I made the decision when Robert and my buddy Dale sat down to just let them know, hey, you guys are have played enough games that you can just jump right in. And so we jumped directly into normal yeah, corporation. It was not a problem. And it was not a problem. And anybody listening to this podcast is most likely going to be fine jumping right in. But if you want to... And honestly, it, if, if you want to use those or if someone's not sure of the game, like just play an arbitrary amount of rounds with the basic corporations just to learn the ropes and then just reset you know, it, re reset it, re-rack and play. Yeah, because the, the, the game, once you learn it, it moves incredibly quickly. Yes, it does. It's liquid fast. You have just enough time in between turns to really kind of plan out what you're going to do, but you're not down so long that you get bored. It's, it's a really well-balanced wait time, if that makes sense. And in the basic game, at the very least. There's not a lot, enough poke your neighbor that you can't plan your next there's, turn. Yeah, there's just, just the smallest hint to poke your neighbor. Not enough to get And there's more of it in, in the advanced deck, yes, yes, but it, it, even there, it's not a ton. The other thing I really like about the game is how it accelerates. Because as you start to build up your engine and as things start to go, you, you there is this noticeable acceleration to not only the gameplay, but just kind of the momentum of the, the feel of the game. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense if you're terraforming things, yeah. because it, it would it would ramp up over time. All right, Jonathan, it's that time again, like every week. We'll, we'll have to play something I know soon. <laughs> How's that rulebook? <laughs> the rulebook's actually very short. It does a good job of breaking down the basics. It does a very good job of breaking down what you need to do. It's laid out in such a fashion that I never had a problem finding any clarification that I needed. My only complaint is it doesn't have an index. Granted, it's a short rulebook. It's still just inexcusable to me. Every rulebook needs an index. I need to be able to, to glance at something quickly and find it quickly. But aside from that, it's a very serviceable rulebook. There were a couple of little items that I could not find clarifications on. I was able to find the Board Game Geek forums for the game and the creator of the game, Jacob Frixeles. He's been very active on Board Game Geek, kind of pointing out a few of the things that the rulebook missed, and there are a couple. Again, these are minor things that are not going to affect your, your base enjoyment or gameplay, but it does bear mention that the, the rules have been enhanced on the Board Game Geek forums, and I'm sure the Stronghold will be putting out some errata. 
So that brings us over to the components. And this is the only thing where I yeah. think the game kind of missed Stumbles. some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The resources, they, they, they had these things that looked so cool so, when so we were starting the game. Before you dive in here, okay. I, I want to make a very distinct clarification. I want to clarify between what is the game, which we've already covered and is, is very, very tightly woven and put together and, and is exquisite, and then the production, because the production is where the stumble occurs. Uh, when you're doing resources, they have cubes. They have bronze cubes, silver cubes, and gold cubes, and they're shiny, and they're cool. And in the game terms, it's, you know, a bronze is a one, silver is five, gold is ten. So if you have a pile of bronze on your thing that you want to get rid of, you can just trade them out for whatever's appropriate. The problem with them, and this sounds really stupid, but it came up so many times. Oh, yeah. They're really slippery. And, you know, if you're playing on a hard surface, like, you know, your table, uh, when you're picking up some cubes, it's really easy for them to slip out of your hand, and they go flying. Yeah. And it, it happened not just to me, because I'm, I'm a terrible no, class. it happened to all three of us. Yeah, it happened to all three of us. And I know, I know... It sounds really dumb, <laughs> but that just, it happened enough where I noticed it. Like, yeah. it was well, happening a lot. And, and because they're all shiny and kind of chromed out, if the light catches them just right, I was having a hard time denoting denominations. I wasn't having a problem, mainly because the silvers are bigger than the golds and the size thing I, I could recognize. But I could see that. I could see yeah, that happening. Yeah, but, you know, it, it made it so that it was never easy for me to glance down at my tableau and say, oh, I've got this much of this. I would actually have to actively work my way through through thinking it. I don't know the cubes for the answer there. I feel like there was another answer that might have handled it a little bit better. I mean, other than that, I don't have any complaints. It's your it's your basic board game. I mean, as always, I wish it had the scythe-style tableaus, which had indents, because yes. the stray elbow on the table is going to mess the whole thing up. And yeah, and, and that really is kind of a miss, because the, the tableaus are very, very thin cardstock. And but not everybody can be scythe, man. No. Like, no, ramping that up would have added another 20 bucks to that game, and I don't, I don't know if it's that's economical. It's it's one of those catch. We got babied. We got babied by Scythe, <laughs> and now now we just can't you know deal with it like we should. But yeah, I, but you know that 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 is a fair criticism, right? Because we have had a high bar set on a production value, and now we're looking at something that is, I would say, as good of a game. Yeah, I agree. Uh, at its core, but we are dealing with a production that fails to kind of capitalize on that. And you were saying when we were playing, like you wish they had a, a you know, a super duper awesome edition that had that. And even if yeah, it was more expensive, I would be willing to pay uh, 20 to $30 more at retail for like a deluxe edition of this game yeah. that had tableaus like Scythe, which had multiple layers of cardboard with indentations. So it was easy to lock in what you were trying to do because several times the money cubes would slip out of my fingers and they would knock my markers around on the, the tableau yeah. for what my production level was for something. I, I got to the point where I was constantly memorizing what my tableau looked like because I kept on knocking them around. And because there's nothing to anchor them down, they just go everywhere they want, which is, again, fine and it's functional. Everything about this game functions. Nothing is broken. No. I, I want to make sure that we make that distinction. No. But that being said, I've seen it done better elsewhere. And it's sad that I don't see a, a, a higher attention to detail here. I, I, I feel bad comparing everything to Scythe. <laughs> like I said, you get a high you get a high watermark. That's just bound to happen. Speaking of that gameplay, is there anything off about that gameplay, Jonathan? What's your opinion on that? Again, I want to make a distinction between the gameplay and the production. Once again, the gameplay was spot on. The production value lets the gameplay down, especially in the iconography that's used in the game. It's confusing. It's never intuitive. No matter how much I look at it, it's never, ever intuitive. 
And well, I mean, there's six resources. Several of the resources are associated with other things that look similar. Now, given they look similar, so it's it. I thought I made a mistake because the the space icon that you can spend titanium on uh-huh. is a black circle with kind of like a, a multi pointed star in it, and then the titanium icon is a black icon with a five pointed star that's the same gold color. And I was like, oh my god, did I was I not supposed to do this? And then you know you correctly point out it's like no, it's the same thing. But yeah. Yeah, there's just a lot of icons, you know. So there's a lot of icons. There's not enough differentiation between them. Honestly, there's there's a certain artistry and science that goes into the making of a good icon to make them quickly and intuitively accessible so that you can do the math in your head. And this game, for whatever reason, these icons just never quite come together. They're never. Intuitive. They do. I, I I got them by the end, but yeah, it wasn't. It I got wasn't... them too, but it, it was never intuitive, and it never felt. Yeah, never quite like, like Scythe. Scythe is, <laughs> and I I hate to keep coming back here, but Scythe is a similar concept game wise, and so it, it you know it's it's an appropriate place for us to make a distinction, and I think Scythe handles its iconography better. It handles it in such a way that by about the midpoint of the game, you can glance down at your tableau and know exactly what's going on with no thought. This game has about the same level of complexity, but I never got that level of comfort. And it's because the icons don't lend themselves to that intuitive nature. I would say I probably got it by the end. Like I said, we were halfway through the game when I was like, oh my god, have I been screwing, have I been cheating this? I was convinced I was cheating the whole time. I don't know what they could have done to fix it. Maybe there's just two icons too many. Or... Yeah, and, and just generally. And, and like graphic... I said, we didn't even go into the animal icons. We didn't go into the biological icons, which are basically ways to earn victory points based off of projects you do. And there's another thing. If you have the, the Ganymede colony, then if you do projects that deal with Jupiter orbit and have the Jupiter icon on it, then you get bonus points for that. So it's just, yeah, there's just a lot of... Just yeah, the, the, the art design in the game as a whole is kind of this weird mixed bag because you've got a lot of really nice stuff, like the cover, which is beautiful. It's got this beautiful painting. In general, I liked it, all the card art, too. Yeah, it's, it's all very evocative of what's happening. But then occasionally you'll get this card with, like, stock photos on it. Or occasionally you'll get this weird kind of mix of colors. Like, the thermometer is just this weird garish blue against the rest of the board. And it just jumps off and it's not... It's not attractive. And again, none of this breaks the game. The game is still phenomenal. It's just this weird mixed bag. I'm I'm usually very hesitant to bring stuff up like this because I think it gets a little too nitpicky. But it was when I thought I was cheating halfway through the game. I was like, yeah, there's probably something here that's worth thinking about at the very least. So Exactly. That being said, the rest of the production is, is of a very high quality. The The cards are a decent grade. The board itself is very nice, and the, the tiles are holding up very nicely over extended play, and they've got a nice linen finish on them. They're very nice. Of course, this brings us kind of to the end of our review. Let's let's start out with the basics. Recommended player count. This player this game goes from one to five on the box. Yeah, I think, uh, I think like every board game, the more the merrier. Three, yeah. three was okay, but I'm sure five would be more interesting. It works at one. The great thing about this game is it plays so liquid fast that I think you can take this up to max player count and not get that, you know, that lull that happens sometimes uh, as people get stuck in analysis paralysis. I don't think this game will ever have that because everything is so straightforward. You know, we could put that to the test and we can bring my wife in on this. Let's do this. Because, yeah, she she gets analysis paralysis bad. Yeah, but I, I think that this game will... It, it's laid out in such a fashion. Those those, those basic mechanics are, are just that, so basic. And the way the cards explain exactly what they want you to do, I think it's very straightforward. I don't think this this is a game that really is going to suffer from that AP. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say one to five, you're, you're good to go. It works on every level. But if you can get more, I'd say do that. Yeah, agreed. So that brings us, of course, to the immortal question. Robert, 
is terraforming Mars fun to play? Yeah, yeah, no, I really, I really, really liked it. I, I see why it came up. I mean, it was just coming up all the time in all the various industry awards, and, and it's well deserved. The gameplay itself, there's a lot going on, and that's the thing. Like you, you heard us complain about the icons and whatnot, but even you didn't hear us complain that there was too much stuff going on. No. It was just a little hard to keep track of in your head. Yeah, I never felt overwhelmed by the six resources. No, not at all. I never felt overwhelmed by, you know, the sheer amount of tiles that you will or will not put down. I never... The game itself flows really well, and I, I really had a good time playing it. And, and that's the thing, too. I, I have a bit of a science nerd in me, and it scratched the science nerd oh, every so totally. often. totally. Yeah. You know, I, I, I recognized a few concepts for, like, you know, the, the salata, I think was... What was it? That, the mirror that raised the yeah. temperature. Yeah, yeah. I... I yeah, I mean, this is all like pie in the sky, future science. Like, I'm we should totally do this in the future with this gigantic mirror that's a kilometer. But it's all based How are we going to build that? I don't fun. know, but yeah, yeah. But I mean, I at least recognize the concepts of like people are like, yeah, we could totally terraform Mars by you know just simply crashing asteroids into it. It's like, how would you go do that? It's like, yeah, it's the future science; they can figure it out. But I recognize a lot of that. You know, the Wikipedia article on terraforming Mars talks about a lot of things that came up in this board game, <laughs> which I thought was a nice twist. I, I went back and read that later, and I'm like, oh hey. Hey, I, I recognize this from the board game. I recognize that. So, yeah, it scratched my science itch. It's a very, very fun game. And even with the slight missteps we were on, which, like I, like I said, I, I really hate talking about those. Yeah, no, it was it was a great game. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, I hate talking about them, too. I think you bring up a real good point there, Robert. And, and again, I think it's important to make that distinction between the gameplay and the production, because the gameplay is exquisite. This game has received nothing but accolades since it was released, and I think it earns every single one of them tenfold. It's brilliantly conceived. It's brilliantly put together, and it's genuinely fun. And, I, has, and it, had it come out a year before Scythe, we would have never known any better. Yeah, yeah. I put this on the same tier as Scythe in terms of fun to play. It is hugely fun to play, and it's basic enough that it's easy to teach, but complex enough, even the crunchiest of gamers going to get a lot out of it. I don't want to get lost in the nitpickiness of our comments on the production. Because yeah, that's like the, our job. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, the production never lets the game down to the point of breaking it. No. Uh, instead, these are annoyances. And, and they're no, annoyances that deserve to be called out because they could be easily corrected in another edition of the game. So that is Terraforming Mars from Stronghold Games. It is available for an MSRP of $69.95. It is worth every penny. If you can find a copy, it has been out of stock for quite some time. Pick it up. Don't even hesitate for a moment. It's just amazing. Well, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. We will be back, of course, in two weeks with lots more. Two weeks? Well, okay. We'll be two back. weeks for us and recording, but yeah. probably less than two weeks for the for the release. Maybe two days. I don't know. <laughs> we will be back soon with lots more gaming goodness. But until then, Robert, any final thoughts? James, I'm going to post this on Patreon as soon as I get done talking about this. But uh, yeah, make sure you get us your info if you haven't already in the future past. I'm so confused now. So, yes, but you won the game. Snazzy James, our Patreon. And remember, everybody, tweet at ForgotMyDice. Tweet top underscore shelf underscore fun. And use the hashtag GameHallBag. And give us a list of what you put into it. And you might win one. Yeah. A GameHallBag. And, and let me tell you, I've, I've got one of these here in the, the office. The, these bags are just super top quality. I mean, they're just beautiful bags. And they are perfectly suited for standard board games. They're a size. nice column that is board game sized. Yeah. So you don't have a weirdness in your backpack. You could stack up. How many games did you fit into yours? 
Well, I think it depends on the height of the game. That's you know? true. That's but, true. But I mean, I easily fit because uh, because like three pizza cakes. You can. I don't know if you could fit three or four pizza cakes in there. So Jonathan has crammed all of his uh, Arcadia Quest Inferno stuff into this bag, including Masmora and his Kickstarter extras. So yeah, I've got Arcadia Quest, Arcadia Quest Inferno, Masmora, a bunch of the Kickstarter extras. And a couple other things uh, in there. I mean, e- easily this game will fit um, five to six standard size games, skinny games like Terraforming Mars or... You, you can pile so much in there. Yeah. It, it, it would take you years to play all those games. Maybe and not years. I'm pretty days. sure you could fit three pizza cake boxes in there for, for, the, uh, for the TMNT. Three pizza cakes. The point is these bags are awesome. They hold a lot and they are very well constructed. Make sure you get those contest entries in. We're going to have lots more fun in the next couple of episodes giving giving away another bunch of those uh, bags. And thank you once again to our wonderful sponsors, including Top Shelf Fun, for letting us really have a lot of fun on the show. Well, I guess there's only one thing left to do, Robert. Party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was Intro by Elephiel and Retro Funk by Persephone, both used with permission via the Creative Commons license.